Vine Pair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, before we kick off what is going to be a raucous conversation today about sports, uh, I wanted to, you know, just check in and see if you are getting through dry January okay. I think we, 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 you know, there's a lot of people, there was a lot of feelings uh, after last week's episode. People writing in, you know, either agreeing with us or saying that, you know, they didn't think that dry January was as big of a thing as people are making it out to be other people saying that they love dry January and why do we got to be haters. So like, you know, are you ready for it to be done or did you not even notice it was a thing in the first place? You know, I think it's one of those situations where for me, you notice it's a, a, a thing that's happening because people like us talk about it and it, it kind of is a, there's a, there's always something interesting because whenever you have people who are, you know, abstention is this weird thing in our culture and it, it, it carries with it this sort of like interesting cachet and we're all kind of fascinated by the person. You know, the thing I didn't mention on last week's podcast and I apologize to our more sensitive listeners, but if you're out there like, what the fuck are you doing listening to this podcast anyhow? But the thing I really wanted to bring up and that I didn't because it, it's sort of weirdly related is are, are you familiar with No Nut November? Is that one you've heard of? What the fuck is No Nut November? <laughs> well, you're not in college anymore, so probably you're just operating at too high a level. But but basically, there's a group of people, men, women, who sort of decide they're not going to orgasm in November, which seems no, insane okay, to me. You're, you're taking this podcast into a place that's just totally, totally, totally not safe for work now. Uh, well, I mean, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast uh, out loud at work anyhow, I apologize. The point is, we're not going to go into any details about that other than to say that, to me, like that sort of thing is like one of those situations where you just go like, you're just like, we're just fascinated because someone is, is choosing to not do something that is like obviously pleasurable and drinking is like pleasurable in, in many cases, not every case. And obviously can be abused, but I just, the whole thing to me, it's like, again, as we talked about on last week's podcast, I don't want to rehash too much, but like, I do think that there is this weird thing in our culture where people just like choosing to deny themselves um, a certain kind of joy and then we're like, wow, that's so brave. And to me, it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah, if you have problems with alcohol, and I know lots of those people, there, then then this is – I don't mean to make light of that at all. And, and it's a very serious issue and a serious one in, the, in this industry, as we have talked about a bunch of times. But but for everyone else who's kind of playing at it, like, again, I, like we talked about last week, I just – I think it's much more important to find healthy year-long, lifelong habits than to – to do this month long thing. And as you said, that's often followed by a February 1st binge drinking session, which, you know, whatever good you did for yourself in the 31 days of January, you set about undoing, including with, you know, sort of our topic for today. I really feel like you just wanted to say no, not November. I had to restrain myself last week. So sorry. I couldn't make it two weeks. I really, okay. Well, I think that's actually a perfect segue into the conversation we're going to have this, uh, this week, which is, Drinking and sports. And the reason I wanted to have this conversation uh, this week is not just to talk about, uh, you know, the sports events we like to drink at, but actually to talk about um, 100% the business behind sports and drinking. I would say that sports probably is responsible for more brand affinity than almost any other uh, single event, if you will, right? You, you have a connection to a brand through sports um, and consumers discovering new brands through sports than pretty much anything else out there, which is why the brand spends so much money, millions and millions and millions of dollars advertising at different sporting events. And obviously most people probably 
are aware of one of the biggest sporting events this week, which is the Super Bowl. But actually, there's an even bigger drinking event that happens this week. And what I mean, I mean bigger, I mean at the actual event. So obviously you have the Super Bowl, which is massive. And then you have millions upon millions upon millions of people watching at home who are also consuming. But there is another event that also happens this week, uh, the Phoenix Open, or as, as it is actually known, the Waste Management Phoenix Open open which has become known as the greatest show on grass um and it is a massive drinking event it's actually become the pga tours largest party if you will i mean bigger than uh burning man bigger than basically the only thing that comes close to it in terms of the amount of consumption of alcohol and the sheer size of the audience is coachella um and so i thought you know with having published an article uh last week on the Phoenix Open written by our own Tim McCurdy and then thinking about the Super Bowl coming up, it'd be a really good opportunity for us to talk a lot about, you know, the world of drinks when it comes to sporting events. So, you know, Zach, to kick it off, I'm just really curious for your thoughts on on the whole sort of idea of drinking and sports. And if you think that there are certain beverages that are appropriate for drinking, the others that you would never, you know, drink while watching sports, et cetera, and sort of like where you've gotten those beliefs from. Well, I think the the greatest thing about something like the Phoenix Open, and, and I, I want to shout Tim out. I thought it was a really fun piece. Something that even I, as both obviously someone who works in the drinks field and also is a pretty big sports fan, was totally unaware of. Like I was totally unaware of that element of it. Um, but I think what it does with that, what that event seems to do, and the other sort of big events that you that we associate with drinking, whether it's NASCAR or potentially the Kentucky Derby, those kinds of things. What it seems like it has, and this to me is kind of a critical component to for me with when it comes to drinking and sports, is that like most people are probably not too invested in who wins, right? Like I think the thing that's hard for me is individually when it comes to drinking and watching sports is if one of my teams is playing. Like drinking more than a beer or two or a glass of wine or two just makes me all the more nervous. Like I can't handle it. I, th- th- there, there's enough stress that for me that goes along with just like caring about who wins a game that like it's hard for me to to even eat or drink, let alone have you know enough beers to you know whatever uh, participate in the greatest show on grass. But but those kind of events where it's a, a multi-day thing, it is kind of, I mean, it's basically just a sports festival as opposed to a music festival. And those are perfect for this. And I think, sound like a lot of fun, frankly. Um, and I think it is this fundamental difference where whether you're going to a golf tournament that that is one of the few that kind of fosters that environment, or like I said, you know, uh, the Kentucky Derby or a NASCAR race or something. Yeah, some people maybe care about who wins, but a lot of people are just there for sort of the experience. And that experience is definitely definitely involves drinking a lot whereas like if i went like i said to a a a seahawks football game or something it's like such a high stress environment for me personally at least that i I don't think i could enjoy you know even an open bar although then again i'm pretty good at enjoying open bars so i don't know maybe i would manage but uh you know it's what about you like what do you do you find the, the there to be something compelling about kind of going to a sporting event and drinking when you're not too concerned about who wins i think yeah i mean i think that it it's it kind of can actually make the the time more enjoyable when I'm not concerned with who wins if I'm at a sporting event and, and drinking. I think the the problem I find with sports is when you you care so deeply that the drinking makes makes that caring worse. If that makes sense, right? Like you can get you become more emotional. We all know that like you our inhibitions kind of get less obviously when we when we consume alcohol, and so 
yeah, when I'm at a sporting event and I had so much to drink that I care a lot about my Auburn Tigers, um, I get really upset uh, a lot more easily. I will scream. Uh, I will curse. And so it's not as fun. Um, whereas I think that's what that's what makes this golf tournament so seem like it's such a good time. Because basically most people there don't care about golf, right? They're really there for like the camaraderie, the hangout, the outdoor party, the fact that like they're one of the only places in the country this time of year where it's gorgeous outside, you know, and, and warm and sunny. And we're all like suffering in the winter, which is why I think they attract so many people who travel to this event too, which is pretty crazy, right? Like 700,000 people over the course of the week, which is just massively, massive insane when you think about other golf tournaments um but i mean in terms of me when it comes to drinking or when i think about the, the world of drinks in sports what i think is interesting is that they really it's they're they're so intertwined at this point for americans right this idea that like if there's a sporting event we have to go to a bar to watch it or we have to be at home with drinks you know and serving those drinks and we do think a lot when it comes to sports about you know what we're drinking at the sporting event, right? So like if it's football, I think football has a really, really strong connection to beer, right? So we really believe that as blue-blooded Americans, we should be we should be drinking beer when we're watching football. But if you actually look at the, the stats over the last few years, wine continues to grow in consumption patterns when it comes to people who are watching football, which makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because as we're looking for different things to uh, consume and maybe not feel as heavy and full while watching a, you know, a three to four hour game, consuming wine makes a lot of sense. Obviously hard seltzer also is uh, you know, growing in its consumption patterns when it comes to football. Um, and then also you have the fact that you know, the, the number one show among millennial women is the NFL, which is crazy. Right. Like, and I think that's something that a lot of people forget or don't even realize, which is that, you know, like it's both genders that watch football. And so you have both genders having their taste preferences involved in, you know, deciding what everyone drinks. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's really cool. And so when we, like, when I host my Super Bowl parties every year, I try to have a very large mix of uh, different drinks for people so that they can enjoy whatever it is that they'd like to enjoy. The only thing I really do try to avoid, uh, it's just straight spirit because that, I mean, that can get crazy really fast. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a real fundamental difference in terms of when we're talking about drinking while attending a sporting event versus sort of drinking while watching. And I think you kind of hinted at something and, and that I wanted to touch on because I think it's really uh, an important point too is, you know, part of the reason that, you know, drinking and sports have sort of a complicated history is because, you know, those lowered inhibitions when combined with, you know, a very emotionally tense environment like a, a like an Auburn Alabama football game say can can unfortunately quickly turn into really ugly scenes and you know I know one thing that you and I talked about pre-show and that I'm interested to get your your thoughts on you know you, you for a while there was a, a pretty universal ban on uh, alcohol sales at college football stadiums and, and th I think in part because of this recognition that you know there's just it's too risky, right? That you have a bunch of people who are, you know, maybe even more passionately consumed with who wins or loses than even an NFL crowd. And those can be pretty violent and pretty impassioned to themselves. And, you know, maybe, you know, you have a, a student section or younger people who, who maybe are themselves kind of more prone to poor choices, uh, even when they're not drinking, especially, but especially when they are. And I think you see, uh, you know, individual uh, universities, conferences, maybe even the NCAA as a whole, kind of maybe because it's 
so much potential profit that they're not making sort of walking back from that uh or you see it in a lot of european soccer leagues with um with you know with drinking at um at soccer matches and again this attempt to you know forestall or or limit violence and unfortunately alcohol you know goes hand in hand with that and and a lot of the worst experiences and and uh you know sort of examples of violence are, are definitely tied to a lot of drinking uh, but you know, it's a complicated thing because, you know, we also obviously want people to, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to necessarily feel like we can't enjoy ourselves and, and having, you know, some responsible number of drinks can go a long way to making those events more enjoyable. I don't know. Like, do you have a, just at a, from a personal level, like, do you, do you, how do you feel about that? Do you think we should be limiting, you know, places where people can drink or not? So I think it's interesting. I mean, so I'm, I'm very mixed about it. So, and I understand that at the end of the day, it's ultimately an economic decision. Um, but there is something kind of nice about the fact that you go to a college game and there isn't drinking and that like you're not worried about getting a beer spilled on you. I mean, you may get now a Coke spilled on you, um, but you're not as worried about a beer being spilled on you as at some pro games. Although I guess that's never really happened to you before. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who that's one of their biggest reasons for saying they would like uh, drinking to stay absent from the college game um, just because like they feel like it's it makes it more pure and you know it's it's less about the the fans reacting as emotionally but you know the argument that a lot of college administrators are making which i think is a really true one uh, is that actually allowing drinking in the stadium will not just be an economic benefit to the schools which is important although there's a whole nother conversation we can get into about whether that's actually fair to the student athletes who get paid nothing for what they what they do right and the school just making even more money off of them but that actually it's also helping uh to cure binge drinking because what what they've been when, when they did a bunch of studies what they saw was that because drinking isn't allowed in the stadiums and there have been some stadiums by the way that have allowed drinking forever, Miami being one of them, uh, because they're in a pro stadium, they play in the Dolphin Stadium. My, University of Miami's allowed alcohol sales, I think, for all, over a decade. Um, but, you know, a lot of these other, you know, traditionally college stadiums like, you know, Auburn, LSU, et cetera, are, are just coming around to thinking, Ohio State, you know, thinking about selling alcohol. And one of the biggest reasons they they give is this, this curbing of binge drinking, because what they found is that both students and adult fans, adults all the way up until their 80s, will binge drink before coming into the games, Mm -hmm. right? So they'll literally stand out in the parking lot and say, you know, I need to have a buzz throughout the whole game because it's the only way I'm going to be able to handle if my team loses. So they literally consume so much that they're just like overly inebriated when they come in. You have people passing out in the first quarter. You have lots of issues. You also have massive issues with with people smuggling in alcohol. They think that will be curbed as well because again, when someone smuggles in alcohol, then they're more likely to drink it in a very fast at a very fast rate once they're in the stadium, right? So they they get in a bunch of minis, they go into a bathroom stall, they chug the minis, they go back to the seat. And like that causes lots of unhealthy behavior and health risks, yeah. right? So that is, a, and, and I think that's true. It's a valid, valid, valid reason to allow people to drink. Also, you know, it does even the playing field across the board in these stadiums, because a lot of these stadiums, and this was something that was brought up uh, when we were having a conversation about sports and drinking in general in the office earlier, right? So like what a lot of people I think don't realize is that a lot of the countries where soccer is, uh, you know, a religion, like take Argentina, for example, um, Drinking isn't allowed at all in the soccer stadiums, but it's allowed in 
polos, you know, polo matches at golf tournaments, et cetera. So people see it as a classist issue, right? And so why are you not letting people who go watch soccer matches drink in the stadiums? There's probably some valid reasons, fight, fighting, et cetera, but you're allowing people who go to the you know fancier sports to drink. And the same is true in college. If you are a wealthy donor to the university and you're able to afford to have seats at the club levels, which all of these massive universities that basically are run like NFL programs have, they all have alcohol. Yeah. Right. So like, so again, you have this massive class divide between the people who are paying for the general, you know, the outdoor seating and the people who are sitting in the box seats or, you know, the club level seating with the free food and the free booze. And so, you know, this is another argument people are giving to why they should allow alcohol in the, in the beginning. So for me, like, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I mean, at the end of the day, you, it'd be better for me to know that more, more people were having less beer outside of the stadium and then to because they knew they could have one or two beers throughout the game in the stadium then to think that i'm walking in the stadium with a bunch of people who really just funneled beers taken lots of shots chugged a whole bottle of wine and they're coming in and potentially sitting next to me yeah yeah no that's a good point and, and, and an important one to think about is yeah you know when you when you sort of you know in the same way that uh prohibition in this country has all led to a lot of maybe unintended or unforeseeable consequences um you know, when you start prohibiting drinking at games, but people still want to be drunk or, you know, have had drinks at the game, they're just going to do whatever they can. And, and if that means showing up already completely wasted, then, yeah, lots of them will do that. And, and I imagine that is uh, in some ways a, that's a, an even worse outcome and, and maybe creates an even worse fan experience uh, for everyone. It's obviously unsafe and, and unhealthy, but it's also, you know, it's just there's no, um, yeah, there's no pacing to it. I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess that's that's a compelling point, and I think I, I kind of come around to the idea. I'm j- in general in favor of you know sort of giving people you know the opportunity to prove that they can handle something and and not taking it away from them unless you absolutely have to. And I'm not sure in these cases that that you absolutely do have to. I want to come back to your point though about um, sort of this evolving mindset about what we drink at either at sporting events or, or while watching it, because, you know, to me, this kind of ties into this fascinating conversation that you and I have been having in a, a few different ways about sort of changing formats for beverages, because to me, one of the challenges, um, you know, like I've gone to baseball games with my wife. And, and uh, if you go to a Mariners game here in Seattle, you can buy like a bottle of wine. Now, granted, they like pour it into a plastic carafe. So they don't give you a bottle that you could throw on the field or whatever. Um, but like when we first started doing that, the like one, you know, concession stand that has the, that has like a wine selection used to be, you know, pretty empty. Uh, and like the last couple of times uh, we have gone, even though the team is worse. And so there are fewer people there. There are definitely a lot more people in line for wine, which I think is super cool. And I mean, I, baseball and wine might seem a little bit, uh, you know, not like the perfect match to people, but, but I really enjoy it. Um, I generally prefer wine anyhow. And, uh, and it's cool. Well, we, I think, all I think, we all know well, that. We all know that. That's true. If you've that, ever that. listened to this podcast. But it's, uh, it's also just a – I think it's just fun to see that people are more and more comfortable saying like, hey, this is my thing – the thing I like to drink and this is a sport I like. And I don't have to worry if, you know, having a glass of wine or having a – you know, or, or you know, is going to look weird if I'm at a football game. Like, whatever. Deal with it. I agree. I mean, I think the, also there's just – there's an embrace, I think, by a lot of – sporting events now of people wanting to to drink different beverages or even i don't want to say higher end is not correct but like beverages that we would consider to be i don't know more hipster so for example like craft beers you're seeing a ton of craft beers now across the board at lots of different stadiums and especially at baseball stadiums in hell the mets even put a Mickler brewery inside the stadium Mm -hmm. right so like 
this this true embrace of you know people's obsession with craft beer i think i'm seeing a lot more wine as well i'm seeing a lot of wine on draft which is really cool yeah um and yeah just just across the board people who who want to have different kinds of drinks when they are uh, at these events i think like i said the only thing that i really don't see at a lot of sporting events except for a few are cocktails yeah and i think the only places you see those still is like the kentucky derby where i think that's actually you're just expected to only drink uh you know things like mint juleps all day long in your face delicious yeah. can, um, I, can I actually, actually I, interrupt you for, with a story real quick because okay, i just I, I have to so uh a f- number of years ago i went to uh my good friend aaron's wedding in louisville kentucky and the uh rehearsal dinner was at churchill downs and i was super excited i've never been before um but i love mint juleps and i love the idea of like here is the place that is like the home of the mint julep right the kentucky derby and the mint julep are inextricably linked and so we're going there for the rehearsal dinner this is going to be awesome i'm going to drink some mint juleps right we get there and i find out that in fact we are not able to get any cocktails of any sort not even a mint julep because someone and I'm not going to say who, but let's just say it was someone's parent involved with the wedding had decided it was concerned that people would get too drunk at the rehearsal dinner and thus be in bad shape for the wedding the next day. And while I understand that concern to some extent, I have rarely been as disappointed as a drinker than being literally inside Churchill Downs, unable to have a mint julep. So I apologize, Aaron. I, I hate to, to badmouth you and your, you know, the uh, family, both uh, birth and in-law, but that sucked. I mean, that is like fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> nice story, buddy. Nice story. Um, <laughs> I got them just in a loss for words. Yeah. I'm going to just leave that out there, let it hang. You know, that story plus uh, your lovely your lovely comment at the beginning of the episode with a, a certain November uh, activity. <laughs> I just, I don't no, know. I, I think people are, people are learning. People are learning a lot, a lot about you. Uh-oh. Um. So, I mean, yeah, it's crazy though, right? I mean, what what other what other though cocktail escorting would there be? I mean, I know that like Grey Goose sponsors the U.S. Open every year. Shout out to Grey Goose, you're not sponsoring this podcast. You should be. Um, but uh, you know, and I know that they they try to push it. But even when I go to the U.S. Open, I don't see like a ton of people sitting around drinking like Grey Goose cocktails. So I'm curious, like where where the the spirit is. I know that like obviously lots of spirits brands host parties after the sporting events. Like there's lots of famous parties, obviously around the super bowl and stuff like that but um i don't know it's interesting yeah i think i think you're right well i think part of it is it's twofold right one is everyone including you know the people on the you know who are running these events in one form or another whether it's the the uh, concessions or what and and people even attending realize that you know in some ways it's it's really easy to get yourself in trouble drinking hard alcohol like it just it doesn't it, for a lot of people it's it's harder to calibrate it's harder to pace yourself and you know there's a there's a sort of um this sort of sense of like you know you can get yourself pretty pretty drunk pretty quickly if you're not careful and it's hard even for people ser- doing the serving who are even if they're trying to be responsible to monitor that in a way that it's a little easier with beer or or even wine especially with sort of limits on how much you can buy at one time but i think the other real challenge is frankly like unless you're drinking something very simple right you're drinking a vodka soda or gin and tonic which you know you do see occasionally it's like are you going to go to a sporting event and get a cocktail like i just think that's kind of asking too much Except, and this is where I come back to this conversation we had about you know new formats, I do think you're going to see maybe some more canned cocktails if those things take off, if they are something that people feel like, you know, the, the, the 
uh, concession providers and things like that feel like they can monitor because that's a really simple way to solve this problem of someone wants an old fashioned or a margarita or something. You don't have to have someone on staff who can make those. You don't have to have the ingredients. You just have to have a can, just crack it open, hand it to them or pour it in a cup and hand it to them or whatever. And I do think you will see more and more of that as the canned cocktail uh, industry grows, if it does, which I think we both think it will. I completely agree. Well, man, this has been a, uh, this has been a very interesting and, uh, Exciting conversation oh, about the sports I, when it comes to drinking. I have one last thing for you. Because oh. we have to get this on record. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? See, I was going to ask you that. That's some oh. bullshit, man. That's how I was going to close the <laughs> podcast. I was like, by the way, who you got? And, uh, I mean, I know who I want to win. Okay. Um, so I really would like to see Andy Reid get his first Super Bowl title. I think that Philly did him dirty. I feel bad for him getting run out of town there. Uh, I also have this weird like rivalry with Philly because my in-laws all live there and I just like to tell them that it's a second tier city uh, all the time. Sorry to anyone from Philly that actually I have the podcast. What is that like being told your city is a second tier city? Huh? I don't know. You you know, it's like too. Uh, But you know, I, I do like Philly's actually a great town for for eating and drinking, just saying, but, um, but I would like to see Andy Reid win. I also think that just like, you know, that team is so much fun to watch. Um, you know, Mahomes, I think is, is good, is very quickly to become the new face of the NFL as he should. Um, and it, it would just be very fun to watch them win. And I'm just like sick of San Francisco winning stuff, man. Like I just, I'm done, you know, they, I'm done with golden state, like bye-bye, you know, I, it's not. It's just it's over. I don't need I don't need the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. So um, I also I don't like you know if Kaepernick was on the team then I'd be real into it still, but he's not. You know I think that all that so I have I have weird feelings about how all that stuff went down and I just yeah I want it to be Kansas City. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, you know, not a lot of love lost between the 49ers and Seahawks. Um, although I will say, I, oh, I st- that's right. You're a massive fan of the Seahawks. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Although, Seattle, duh. I will, I will, rem- I will say that, uh, I still have a lot of love for Richard Sherman. And so there's a part of me that if the 49ers win, I'll be certainly happy for him. Uh, but I'm certainly going to be rooting for the chiefs. I think like you, um, you know, I, I also think Andy Reid doesn't get the, the credit he deserves as a, one of the great head coaches of the last couple decades in the NFL. I think, uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes and that whole offense are a lot of fun to watch. I also think I have a soft spot for any team or franchise that hasn't won ever or in a very long time. And it's been 50 years since the chiefs won the super bowl. So I I didn't even know that. Like when, when they won the, uh, conference championship last week and they were talking about that, I was like, what are you kidding me? I think that's awesome. Yeah. So I have a so I, I mean I think I'll be rooting for them. I mean I I know I'll be rooting for them. I think it's gonna be a, a fun game. I mean I, I it's I'm not a huge like I often don't pay that much attention to the Super Bowl unless I'm heavily invested in who's in it. Um, I came relatively close to that because my wife is from Wisconsin. So if the Packers had won, I would have had a little more. There would have been a little more uh, family rooting interest on on the NFC side. But uh, since there's not, uh, I'm free to root for the Chiefs, which is uh, good with me. And and I I think they will win. I think it's gonna be a a competitive game. Except and uh, if we're totally wrong and the 49ers stomp them, then just remember this isn't a sports podcast, so tough shit. And with that, thank you so much to everyone for listening. As always, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, you know, like it, uh, comment on it, uh, give us that five-star rating on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, or wherever else you, it is that you get your podcasts. 
Um, Thanks again for listening. And Zach, I'll see you right here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The Vine Pair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patrie. We're recorded out of Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.